You're listening to Angling Solutions, a podcast brought to you by Red's Fly Shop, and I'm your host, Joe Roeder. Red's Fly Shop is located on the banks of the Blue Ribbon Yakima River in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. We ship flies and fishing gear all over the world. Shipping is fast and it's usually free. Visit us at www.redsflyfishing.com to gear up for your next big fly fishing adventure. Today I get the pleasure of interviewing three great friends of mine that also happen to be guides here at Red's Fly Shop. These fellas all took trips to Ascension Bay, Mexico this year. Out of four of us, we traveled during three different weeks. We dealt with different weather conditions, different tides, different temperatures, all that kind of stuff. And we learned a ton. Anybody who's thinking about planning a tropical flats fishing trip can certainly learn from these guys and all the experiences that we've had. So enjoy today's podcast. There's lots to share and lots to learn. Well, welcome back to the Reds podcast here. Uh, I'm sitting here with a couple of my good friends, Shan Sedgwick and James St. Clair, and we are going to do the end of season wrap up from all of our fishing exploits in Ascension Bay, Mexico. And we're stationed right here at Reds at actually the Back Eddy Bar, which is how cool is it, guys, having a bar inside the fly shop? Where the foam is home. I love it. Yeah, it's a great, great little spot to grab a grab a beer and uh, hang out with some some buddies and talk about fishing. Yeah, so back eddies are also known as where the scum accumulates at the end of the day. Is there any truth to that around here, boys? Yeah, there's some truth to it, but I'm the only one who might not be drinking a beer on this podcast right now. That's how that's how good this one is. Hey, you're not supposed to tell. Uh, so we are we, you know, this is how the better half lives. Apparently, we get to go fly fishing in the tropics, and uh, and then come back and have a beer and talk about it, which is pretty darn cool. And uh, our our other guide, Craig Chittenden, uh, one of the other guys who who did a different week down there, uh, is going to jump in and he's going to put his. 10 cents in later in the podcast but uh just for a little background uh we're just a bunch of fly fishing guides we guide trout uh bass steelhead and all that kind of stuff in the pacific northwest and then uh we are also group leaders or group hosts and we get to travel different places and coordinate groups so when you when you choose somebody to set up your trip in a faraway place uh we're, we're examples of the guys that would coordinate and book your trip for you travel with you and then be kind of a, a mentor and a leader and a ground coordinator once down at the lodge there so as much as we joke around we do take that job pretty serious so yeah shan did a couple of big trips this year so you kind of went back to back man you did uh did christmas island and uh and then ascension bay why don't you give us just a couple minutes uh comparing and contrasting uh those two trips well, first of all, you have to realize that in the Pacific Northwest, during that January, February, March time frame, it could very well be snowing here and be 20 to 10 degrees at night. And then you end up leaving here and going someplace where it's 85 degrees, the sun's beautiful setting, and you didn't have to shovel snow that week. You're already a winner. 
<laughs> Christmas Island's a great place. I loved it. Ascension Bay is a great vacation that I also loved. It's a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more laid back uh, uh, margaritas, where Christmas Island is a big boy fishing trip where you need to be prepared to walk for eight to nine hours a day wade fishing. Got it. So the, the big difference is kind of the boat game, huh? Agreed. The boat game, uh, it, it's relaxing to be up in front of that boat or to be watching your buddy fish in front of you catching permit, uh, tarp and barracuda, all that stuff. But when you're on Christmas Island, they drop you off and you are one of the places is go like hell flats because you have to get from point A to point B and you have to go like hell to make it to get to the, ba- to get to the boat on time. Go like hell flats. <laughs> Seriously, that's the name? That's the name. Oh, gosh. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a James, you and I did the same week and we did a couple of podcasts already that kind of summarize day one uh, through four. Uh, let's let's break it down for the people that listen to those other two. Let's just kind of pick it up. You and I fished together on day five, right? Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, give me kind of a play by play of that. Well, we didn't go to uh, we didn't go to a go like hell flats. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we started out uh, we started out on a, a flat down down south um, near Casablanca. Saw a few fish down there, but not a ton. And so our guides made the decision to go through uh, go through a little mangrove channel down to. Um, back into kind of like a uh a lake almost it looked like but uh anyways on the way way through that mangrove channel we we spooked a pretty big barracuda and we chased that thing around for probably half an hour or so it was uh it was pretty exciting we kept uh you know it saw the boat from the get-go and we kind of kept spooking it downstream it, it kind of felt like you were in a creek and we we thought we were gonna we thought we were gonna get him to go and just just uh you know he was he was a spooky spooky fish so we kind of continued on, and then we got into some uh, some really nice tarpon back in that little back cove. And uh, Joe was up on the deck at that point, making some crazy good casts. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah, crazy good casts, and I it, about twenty crazy good casts, probably a couple of bad ones. Uh, and I did get one really good eat, but those tarpon were really picky. Um, and before before we continue. Now, that first flat we fished, I'm trying to recall, is that the one you fell out of the boat on? (laughs) That is the one I fell out of the boat on. So uh, I woke up that morning and was feeling a little queasy. Joe actually even asked me, dude, are you going to fish today? Unfortunately, I didn't realize I had Joe's 10 weight in my hand. Yeah, here I go. (laughs) (laughs) It was super wavy, but it wasn't really falling out of the boat. It was... It was more of a controlled jump, I'd say. It, it was if I, it was fairly graceful. I uh, I would give it a, a two out of ten in a diving competition because you hit the water safely. It was a good pencil dive. Yes. Yeah. If we judge on the pencil dive. I think it was more like a four. So back to the tarpon. So yeah. <laughs> We got great shots at those tarpon, but man, a perfect example of, you know, where you need to set a fly down soft with like, you know, nine or a 10 white rod, delicate delivery, perfectly flat glass water. I mean, which we were on the lee side of those mangroves, which I love when the guides do that. You know, they, the, the wind and chop doesn't bother them as much. They see the fish better than we do. Uh, and so they they really the chop doesn't really affect where they decide to fish but we happen to be on my favorite side the lee side of those mangroves so it was glassy and i tend to pick up the fish better 
which is the caster. I, I want to see the fish's posture. I want to see its rate of travel. I want to see what, what direction it's facing, which is kind of helpful on knowing what side of the fish to cast on, which may sound super silly, but when you've saltwater fished a fair amount, between moving chop, a moving boat, and especially you start to get clouds moving over, it's it can be difficult to tell what direction a fish is facing or traveling with all of those different moving elements because tarpon don't always move very fast. When they're along the mangroves, they sometimes just lay up and sit still, am I right? Yeah, you're 100% right. And then the most important thing is to see which way his head's facing or his tail's facing. Yeah, so great shots of those tarpon. They were very, very picky. Uh, we changed flies a couple of times, and I did finally get an eat on a fly that you had tied, James, which was essentially a replica of that Enrico uh, Puglisi suspended tarpon shrimp, which was it's a great pattern for down there. And I finally got one to eat, and I also was also had to get them on that because you took some great shots too with the floating line. But I think that intermediate sink tip was an advantage in that situation of getting down about 18 inches and a little bit more eye level with those fish because they they just frankly weren't real aggressive. Definitely, yeah. Uh, you could tell the the with the floating line and, and the fly I was fishing by the time it landed uh, and I started stripping I, it kind of like pulled it away from the fish before they had a good opportunity to see it so I think that intermediate line just helped it sink a little bit quicker right into the fish's eye zone yeah, um, and then when you started stripping um, you definitely, yeah that one fish followed it yeah, halfway to the boat and ate yeah that was a good eat and, and uh, so we had fantastic shots of tarpon and and I actually took a nice shot at a permit there that morning. We didn't stay on that big wavy, you know, flat, um, you know, in the, in the morning there very long. So in a matter of like three hours on day, not even three hours, two hours on day five, I threw at a permit, which I'd had a really good follow from a big permit. And then we threw at that barracuda that looked like a freaking crocodile that its eye was the size of a 50 cent piece. And, uh, so we threw at that barracuda. You threw at that other smaller barracuda as soon as we came into the lagoon. I got to eat from a fantastic tarpon, you know, which we're fishing mangrove tarpon, you know, for a, for a Keys angler wouldn't sound like anything big, but they were anywhere from, you know, 10 to 30 pounds. Those were really good sized tarpon for the mangroves. And then uh, from there, we bounced out to try to find some permit out in, uh, there was that row we actually fished two different sets of lobster traps that day uh, on day five. Uh, but there was that, that mud that the bone, that school of bonefish and little jacks were making. And man, we, uh, we worked that pretty hard for permit, didn't we? We did, yeah. So we saw, we saw two muds, uh, kind of mud streaks, I guess you can see in the water. And they're fairly large. They're like, uh, you know, half the size of a basketball court. And um, yeah, maybe as long as a basketball court. I mean, you could, you could see them from, from a pretty good distance and uh yeah we the guides after the tarpon you know we played around with those for a little bit we went right over those muds and uh yeah started started looking for permit a lot of times the permit will um kind of hang around on the outside edges of the mud and the guides are able to see them from the from the pulling deck and uh actually joe was able to hop out of the boat on a school of permit um and and chase one down chase a group down yeah, that's and I learned so much, and and I've been to Ascension Bay quite a few times. But one thing I learned in that instance was, you know, the the lodge where we we, we fished this last trip, we fish on a two to two guide angler ratio, which is great. We talked about this in the preceding podcast, but 
what that allows the guide team to do is one angler one guide can jump out of the boat and pursue a fish on foot get much closer and get one well calculated shot the other guide stays on the polling deck and he can be somewhat of air traffic control with his eyes in the sky and talk the other angler and guide into the fish well i pursued this school of permit and it turns out the permit were were running with the school of thugs those jacks and they were they were just tearing tearing up the bottom the jacks were and uh making you know a mud and and shan here in a minute will kind of describe to you you know what it's like to to bone fish in muds i know you enjoyed that from your first trip that you ever went there you said that was a pretty great way to break into catching a lot of fish quick and for anybody who's thinking about their first flat trip that could be super helpful but back to the story here is is that school came by me that we relocated them several times we're out of the boat for maybe 15 20 minutes and you know there were jacks and permit together and when the school of fish came by me and i mean a permit's a pretty high stake species and i'm just doing my best to get a cast on this school because they're moving pretty fast and given more experience you know like the guides have this experience and like you know i'd i wouldn't say i'm a great flats fisherman but i'm a good enough flats fisherman for the most part is you gain experience you will learn to identify you know what these jacks because this is a, a school of smaller jacks what the jacks look like versus being able to Im- immediately pick out the permit well i threw at the at the fish that were in the front of this group and immediately hooked up and i could see the fish and i could see their fins coming by jacks are a little bit more green and then the permit to have black dorsals and black tails well of course i hook one of the little jacks that's out at the lead you know and it's natural to want to throw in front of the fish right because you're going to bring the fly by as many fish as you can as that school's boogieing through well the permit tailgate the jacks so i mean like a guide would know that like not yet you know as the school's coming by and be able to to throw the cast at the at the point where the jacks because jacks are aggressive man they they eat almost everything you present to them. I mean, they're just like Pac-Man on crack out there, just wow, 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 gobbling everything up. So the the jack intercepted it before the permit had a chance to get it. I bring, and I knew it was a jack pretty much immediately because the guide like was like, oh, and I'm like, why would he do that? You know, like, sweet, I got a fish on. You know, I'm pretty stoked. <laughs> I'm fighting this fish. The guide's like, oh. And I'm like, okay, you know, he's trying to be nice, you know, you know, good job. You got a, you got a jack, you know, which jacks are sweet, right? It was just a little guy, but uh, the lesson I learned on that was, you know, there's always room for growth. There's always room for improvement and being able to see the fish better, identify, you know, what you're going to do in each of those situations was super helpful for me. But uh, so anyway, I ended up with the jack, school of permit got away. And then... Uh, that what we we used a term at the beginning of this conversation was the term was a mud and a mud uh i i'll let shan explain this because i i very vividly i will remind you shan went on his first flats fishing trip this was quite a few years ago and uh you know shan like a lot of trout anglers i mean none of us come from a background where we we all grew up super blue collar and we never thought we'd get to go on these great trips right we just we've got this racket where we get to go guiding and we squirrel away tip money and then we book these we host these trips and we we earn our we earn our lodge fees based on doing a good job of coordinating on the ground down there but uh i remember shan went down and he and he was you were really relieved like you know like what if i don't you know like a lot of anglers have this fear of what if i don't catch any fish you know flats fishing is supposedly hard but 
I think you found the solution to uh, catching numbers of fish <laughs> on this trip. Well, like any good guide, the guides in Ascension Bay have figured out a way so that uh, skill level uh, fishermen of all skill levels can also catch bonefish. And my like, skill level for bonefishing was at the beginner's stage at this point. And uh, they took me to a place where instead of seeing a uh, shallower water where the tails are up in the air the tails if you could imagine are in deeper water and the noses are in the the sandy flats digging at the shrimp and the crabs and it creates what you see in a, a beautiful otherwise pristine area of blue and green water as a pig pen mud that just sits there and kind of moves with the with the group of fish and you cast in the middle of the mud and then you strip back your fly and you catch fish. That is all I can say. They can be bonefish. They can be the jacks that Joe mentioned. They can be uh, blue runners. They can be ladyfish. But you catch fish. And when you're first starting out and you're worried that you're not going to see the bonefish or you're not going to make that 90-foot cast that you read that somebody's made in a magazine, they take you to the spot where the bonefish and the other fish are making mud, and you just flat out catch fish after fish after fish, and a lot of times in those muds, which is great at the beginning and at the middle, and sometimes when you're an experienced angler, it's great too. Well, I would think that's a good tip, you know, for a cloudy day too, right? Like sometimes you, if you're battling storms or cloudy weather, which we'll talk about your trip because you guys got dealt a bad hand uh, when you were there. And it seemed like everybody had a good time, but you guys got dealt some bad weather. But if you could identify a mud when it's cloudy, that would solve the problem of an angler having to see an individual fish. Because you always hear, hear these stories about people not being able to see the bonefish. And the guide says, it's right there, you know. <laughs> what, what, what do they say? <laughs> 30 feet, 1 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> like, cast again, cast again. Cast again, more line, further, uh, all that kind of stuff. But it's uh, a horrible Spanish accent, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> cast again. <laughs> mas, mas line. <laughs> but the mud would be a solution like, uh, for instance, if somebody were, were having cloudy weather, for instance, if they were to ask their guide, like, hey, I'm, I'm happy, you know, casting into a muddy area for just some, some bonefish or some jacks or blue runners or whatever, that would be a great way to kind of help control your own destiny a little bit as a, as a guest, I think, right? That's a wonderful idea, and that's what people do, and that's what I do, especially on days when somebody uh, that I'm fishing with hasn't had a good day before that. It's always a great idea to catch some fish and build up confidence from the guide and also build up confidence with yourself. No trout sets. Now I know what they're going to do. I know how to do a strip set well. I know how to uh, raise my rod slowly while the fish taking off. I know the line control that I have to do. The mud is a great idea. Sometimes it's the same like some people only be dry fly fishermen. Some people only want to cast a fish in the tropics or in the flats that they can see. Other people want to catch fish and they don't particularly care if they're catching the fish out of the mud or if they're seeing the fish or if they're only tailing or if it's only permit. You know, So it's a, it's a, it's a great answer for a lot of troubles that you might be having in those areas. Oh, I, I think that's a really good way, Like especially if you were going to maybe invite somebody on a big trip like this that doesn't have a high level of, of or skill level of casting. That yeah, I mean, I was I was just gonna kind of follow up and touch on a point that Chan said. I mean, confidence is a big deal down there, and if you kind of go through a couple of days and you know maybe you missed a few sets or you trout set or whatever, um, you know, just catching a fish and realizing, wow, I can do this. I mean, that's a huge deal. 
once you realize that you can catch the fish, you can do a strip set, you can make a cast, even though you can't see the fish, now you know, well, even though I didn't see the fish, my guide pointed out where to cast, and you can apply that to when they do see the fish. The guide does see the fish, even if you don't see it, and maybe it's a you know a more high-stake species or whatever, but it, I mean, building your confidence down there, I think, is a, is a huge deal, so yeah, definitely... Yeah, don't avoid the mud just because you can't see the fish. It, it's a big morale booster. Yeah, Shan, especially, he's known to get a little pouty when he goes a couple <laughs> hours without a fish, so that's good for him. But uh, <laughs> uh, So moving on, let's just kind of wrap up a little bit. So day five, we finished with some barracuda. You know, was we did a whole bunch of stuff on day five. We were, we were covered up in fish there for most of the day. I thought it was a... Actually, it was a day that was full of opportunity. Now that I think back, I didn't even catch much on day five. But my gosh, we had some great shots at the big permit in the morning, the tarpon, that ridiculously big barracuda, which we spent about 30 minutes just stalking this one fish. You know, we'd let him cool down for a little bit. Then we <laughs> tried all sorts of different flies. We even lightened up our wire leader. And and uh, so we we tried all sorts of different stuff i caught a couple of nice bonefish in the afternoon and, and you got a couple of shots of permit you got intercepted by jack yep. like i did same deal uh it's a lesson we both learned and then later in the day you stock cuda on foot right tell me about that just getting out caminando and uh going after them on on foot yeah so Bar- barracuda are really cool i actually uh got a couple chances to do this throughout the trip but uh yeah when you um when you see barracuda on the flat and it takes you a few days to you know differentiate between a stick and a barracuda um (laughs) the first few days i was like is that a fish is that a fish and they're like stick they wouldn't even turn their head which (laughs) is so insulting (laughs) that they don't even look like the guide would like steak and you're like you didn't even look over (laughs) yeah once you realize that you really can't see the barracuda all you can see is their shadow against the flat um you know they're not going to make a big dark huge <laughs> huge uh you know area it's it's really just a shadow so anyways we'd had a few like joe said we'd had a few good shots of barracuda barracuda around uh, some lobster traps earlier in the day i actually hooked one um and he just you know came unpinned somehow fly was still there and everything dude you hooked that barracuda that was like a wolf pack you threw into i i have not seen that many schools of mature barracuda together how many fish were in that group that you you hucked over there so yeah there was probably 10 10 barracuda or so and before that right before that we'd seen seven or eight like big size barracuda just rolling around by themselves and then all of a sudden there was a huge school of barracuda and obviously joe and i were excited joe actually broke out his we were casting at the same time oh yeah <laughs> joe was casting a I popper could, i was casting a needlefish couldn't help it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like waving a red meat in front of a dog man there's these three to four foot long fish sitting out there and only one guy casting at them it's ridiculous yeah yeah exactly exactly and it was no problem obviously joe and i both casted a few times uh on the water so it was no big deal we never tangled it was great um but anyways later just just after that um and after a couple shots at permit and jack stealing my flies uh we went to this to this little spot that we'd had luck the day before and there were two barracuda that we could see laid up on a white sand flat and they're just hanging out they're literally not moving they're waiting for something to come their way yeah stationary barracuda are definitely uh 
ideal. Yeah, in my experience, those are the ones that are players because they're an ambush predator. They don't, you know, cruise like a jack would be like a, a mobile predator, right? He cruises around and they just kick up bait fish or whatever and just tackle them like a group of thugs roaming the streets. Whereas a barracuda is like, that's the guy who's hiding behind the dumpster, you know, and ready to jump out and get something. So uh, stationary barracuda are definitely players. And I threw out my uh, Spanglish, Spanish term, comminando. <laughs> And I've always found with Barracuda, when you have the opportunity to get out and pursue them on foot, your the, the ratio of of presentation to hook up goes way up when you're on foot because they fall a lot of times. The Barracuda is going to follow at 25 feet. Now, if you can only cast 40 or 50 feet, and he follows 25, he's going to you know he's going to see the boat. It's it's much easier for him to see the boat than pick you up just standing in the flat, which you might look like a log stick tree, whatever, or he might just ignore an angler standing there. Whereas a boat, he's seen a few boats over his time there. So, you got out on foot, Caminando, stalked the Barracuda. You had good shots. What happened? Had great shots. Uh, yeah, just just an interesting day overall. I mean, uh, you know, after after hooking that one barracuda in kind of an unlikely situation like we just said they they weren't really laid up they were kind of cruising around in, in a school these ones that were laid up i was like oh sweet because i'd hooked a couple the day before or a, a few days before that were caminando or whatever yeah. it's like and they were laid up they were laid up them, yeah. exactly and so i was like oh my gosh this is going to be awesome i'm hopping out of the boat i'm in knee deep sand taking huge steps no big deal it doesn't matter eyes on the prize and uh you know made it made it over to the edge of the flat and uh made a few casts and good casts and just no you know they just not not really interested um you know i don't i don't know he no hungry you know he no hungry he no hungry we move we move, we Bominos. move. Bominos. so that was day five i mean we kind of wrapped up day five out there uh and then day six uh you know, let, we and we better move along. Shan's in this conversation too, <laughs> and his fishing didn't start till like day four because they had thunderstorms er, earlier in the week. But uh, give me a give me a quick rundown on catches for memorable moments and catches. Let's just say you have four. Let's sure. just say uh, the magic number is four. You have four of the most memorable moments or catches from throughout the week on your trip to Ascension Bay. Okay, well, I think we covered most of them on, on the first couple podcasts, so I'll just focus on the last two days. So, um, you know, the day after Joe and I fished, day six, uh, got some great shots at some single and double permits right in the morning. Unbelievable. Permits. Unbelievable shot. Permits, yeah. Permits, I, I, yeah. Permits it, and tarpons and snooks. Yeah, there's our <laughs> Spanish accent. That's the best Spanish accent I have. Snooks. We may find some tarpons. <laughs> <laughs> snooks. Yeah. So yeah. So we had some some good shots, uh, good shots the next day on on some nice permit, and then uh, we stopped. So that was one. Number two, Iguana Island for lunch. Really, just cool experience. You pull up in the boat, and well, well, what is Iguana Island? Okay, so Iguana Island is just this like tiny mangrove island. It's got a sweet sand beach. You can tell there's like a stump with a little fire pit. You can tell the guides frequent the area for lunch and so the iguanas have kind of learned when they hear a boat motor anywhere near the island they come running out because there's possible <laughs> food scraps available um so we pulled up we'd, we'd already eaten lunch and we pulled up and uh shut the boat motor down maybe hit the water with a couple sticks and uh 
all of a sudden here comes like four or five iguana come running out and that was just a that was just a really really neat experience to see i mean this island in the middle of nowhere and these lizards have learned that the boat motor equates to food i just thought that was really uh, amazing actually yeah Pav- pavlov's dinner bell theory yeah. shan chance <laughs> mouth the words right there there's a couple of well-educated fly fishing guides yeah yeah, yeah it was yeah. great Pav- pavlov's iguana experiment right definitely definitely and then uh you know i'll, I'll do just uh just a couple more here um so last day uh, obviously a great great experience it's kind of sad to leave but uh you get well, to fish a half day yeah the last day was you're talking about departure day departure right? day yeah yeah so departure day you know you wake up and you're like oh man i gotta make sure all my stuff's packed up but super smooth the way the way we have it rigged up is just uh really great um we get to fish a half day that day um and i ended up landing probably my biggest fish of the trip that day um just a nice snook you know a nice you know 10 to 10 to 12 pound snook just a real nice fish great cast into the wind um yeah it was good maybe it was maybe it was a little bit bigger Shan just put his hands up i'm like that looks small it was bigger than that <laughs> yeah. and it was on a fly that i tied for the trip so that was really boom cool. that's actually, like dude that's the difference between a dunk and a layup right yeah, there exactly. like like a layup is like you bought the fly at the shop the dunk is you tied the fly at the lodge while you were fishing because the guide said that would work well for you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it was, uh, that was a, that was a really cool experience. And my boat partner caught a couple of really nice snook as well. And he, he hooked a really big bonefish. I actually broke off a really big bonefish that day. So that was really cool. And then I'll just kind of end real quick. I'm going to let Craig take over here cause he's got a lot to say, but just a just a quick tip for anyone considering the trip out there just really work on that casting double haul into the wind um and my biggest tip would be to um lay, lay that work on laying that back cast out straight and actually using that back cast as a cast so it's not just to get your line going forward it's also part of your cast so you would treat your forward cast as your back cast and your back cast as your forward cast. I can't tell you how many times the guides say, back cast, 40 feet, once, or what? You know? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, <you> once. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, funny. Uh, and I'll tell you, that's you just summarized, in my opinion, you know, the secret to flight casting. If you challenge a caster, like just say we're out like we do. Like, for those that haven't been to Reds, we, we've got an awesome campus. I think it's the term we used for it earlier today, just joking. We've got, like, a lodge, a restaurant, shop. we got the back of the bar. And when fly rods come out here, I mean, we can't help but go cast in the, the lawn in front between the shop and the river. When you challenge somebody, you say, okay, lay out the straightest, cleanest back cast on the ground that you can. That's one of the hardest things to do because we we envision our back cast being this nice tight laser line, you know, st- you know, stiff as a frozen rope out behind us. No, it's ugly and it's humiliating because your back cast has all these weird waves in it and it hooks to the left or whatever. And when you can lay out a perfectly clean straight back cast, your forward cast is going to be near perfect. I, I I think as an instructor, that's one of the drills that somebody could do to improve their casting for saltwater fishing is just learn to lay up perfectly straight back cast with good line speed. Absolutely. Not, and not only that, I mean, you, you got to treat it like a cast. Like when they say 40 feet, you have to know your back cast is 40 feet, not just, you know, well, my back cast looks good, but I don't know how far it went. Right. I mean, it's 
part of the game too is they it's, say back cast at 40 feet and it's got to turn over see and that's it's the thing turn over add 10 10 mile an hour wind in there i mean you know yeah it's a, it's it's tough yeah and that's where like a lot of people get like oh back cast that sounds easy no your back cast has to have perfect leader turnover because the fish came in the back door and anytime they come in on the back side of that boat it's not a time you know you don't time is not really in the equation right like you've got a period of several seconds you've got moving fish that may be moving towards the boat you need to deliver the fly and drop it like on a paper plate fast and leader turnover is huge so you have to have enough line speed to actually get the fly to turn over when it comes to like weighted flies i mean that back cast actually has to have some energy so that's a super worthy tip and then uh what about lastly here before uh before we bring craggers in here uh lastly what would you say to people who've been kicking tires on a saltwater trip like they've fly fished for quite a few years they're saving their money and and going on this trip uh what advice would you have to help kind of mitigate some of those you know that anxiety or some of those fears they have about writing the check to go do a trip like this sure yeah i mean just just uh there's just a few things to kind of remember and think about when you're about to write that check and i mean i had some reservations to begin with as well just oh my gosh who who am i going with what's it going to be like is the food going to be okay can i drink the water and basically all of that stuff you don't have to worry about the food's amazing everybody that goes on these trips they're there for the same reason you are. They want to catch some fish, but they also, you know, want to learn about fishing, learn about the ecosystem, have a good time while they're doing it. And uh, just, I, I didn't have uh, a bad day down there. Um, and you're going to catch fish. You know, you're like, you know, we've already kind of gone over this, but there's plenty of options if you can't see the fish or, you know, maybe your cast isn't as great as you'd like it to be. It, it really doesn't matter. There's, there's always a way to catch some fish and you might even surprise yourself you know yeah i would say you know in summary there we had guys on our trip you know because you and i were together and and you went as a a customer of mine which is super weird because we're super (laughs) good buddies and you work for us but you know you saved up and you'd always want to do this and you said joe i'm just gonna do it you know and uh and and now you're gonna host a trip next year now that you've been you know had boots on the ground down there but we had one, we had great guys that do these trips. The camaraderie is awesome. The laughter, you're seeing people at their best. So everybody else in the lodge is just, you know, having a great time. But two, I, you know, we had casters of all skill levels on our trip. We had, you know, John, right? John, the Tom Brady of fly fishing. You know, yeah. he's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Phipps is great. A uh, great caster, but then we had a lot of other guys, and I'm not going to name any names because they may think that they're uh, they may think they're the Randy Johnson of fly casting, <laughs> bringing the heat, but they're not. Uh, but those guys, they didn't. They caught maybe a few less fish, but they they had just as great a time. I mean, the smile on those guys' face it didn't seem to matter. You know, uh, everybody caught fish. Everybody had a great time. The camaraderie's great, and man, that that happy hour is just. I mean, that's worth the price of mission right there. When you come off the flats with a bunch of guys that you may not even know very well or at all, it's a hell of a good time. 
Definitely, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, it's just so much fun. I mean, it's hard to explain. I have a little goosebumps now talking about it just because it was my first trip. I'm sure these guys are like, ah, oh, geez. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just I just had an amazing time. The only person I knew on the trip, I mean, I, I knew Joe. I'd met John, the, the Tom Brady, John, uh, <laughs> one time before. Other than that, I didn't know. I didn't know anybody. And by the end of the week, I've, I've already texted and called uh, multiple called or been called by multiple of the guys on the trip and we're already looking forward to next year i'm in the process of tying flies for for one of them who's going back down in april and it's just it's one of those things you know it's it's just an unforgettable trip and uh something once you go you know it's going to be hard to not continue to go so oh amen to that man i've been nine times in eight years <laughs> so shan you just got back this last saturday from ascension bay and you've done bunch trips down there uh hosted groups for reds give us a kind of a breakdown of your your highlights from your trip and uh kind of stuff you learned and funny stuff whatever well you know what uh, another great year uh, i can't tell you how fun it is ascension bay it's a, a unbelievably great fishing trip and vacation all wrapped up into one the anticipation of the trip is almost as good as the trip for me sometimes i just start thinking about how excited i am about fishing and then you get there everything's great the ride down there as you'll read and hear and everything online the ride down from uh tulum to punta allen itself is an adventure um and you'll learn from your you'll learn on your own how, how adventurous that can be but it's a long bus ride uh you get there the first day out you're on a panga and i love this i look forward to this most of the time when it's calm and they're zipping around in that panga and your feet are up and it's blue skies 85 degrees that's my favorite place in the whole world probably i'm not even talking about the fishing part i'm talking about the part in the boat and to me that is maybe when i think about the fishing that's when i that's what i think of and enjoy the most we get there the fishing honestly when people say it takes care of itself i mean to tell you it takes care of itself even on the bad days when the weather's not good there's no sun there's rain we still caught fish. It's just wasn't perfect conditions. And I think I've seen uh, shirts out there that says, weather forecast, who cares? Go fishing. And, and I'll tell you right now, don't worry about that. Don't worry that you're going to have bad weather two days. Don't worry about the rain. You'll still catch some fish. It'll still be a, a, a fun trip. Now, the sun, the sun at the end of the last four days was really, really a welcome sight. Is it really considered rain when it's over 80 degrees? When you're jetting around in that boat and that rain's hitting you, it was like needles <laughs> hitting you. And that was crazy. I, we sat under mangroves for an hour. I've done a pile of those trips, and uh, in in I mean, we've hosted dozens and dozens of trips down there, and it's such a fun time. And it's an easy trip to take. Like, I mean, I hate to sound like salesy on the podcast here. It's a pretty easy trip to execute. I mean, you just fly down, you go fishing for a week, you come home. It's not super expensive when it comes to you know fishing trips in general but your weather that i saw coming in because i told you you were going to have bad weather i messaged you and i said you know brace yourself i could see those storms on the forecast and i was hoping we'd eke out our last day and we did our last day (laughs) our last day was spectacular shame on you it was glass and sunny and i mean we had really good fishing on our departure day but uh, how did you guys like? So you had the worst of worst. I mean, you saw the you saw the fishery in the worst possible conditions for part of the week because these storms kind of come and they come and go so fast. You know, they don't hang around. But uh, 
tell us a little bit about the highlights of you know what you learn and 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 what you guys catch you know in the group there that was exciting well you know what uh, on the bad days there were still permit caught everyone still caught a few bonefish to i think one guy in the the first day caught a dozen bonefish i will tell you right now like that speaks to fish hunger because i've caught my biggest permit i've ever caught this it was so rainy we didn't even go out the first half of the day which is the only time that's ever happened to me in nine trips on that trip so i've been there i fished about 60 days in ascension bay the one day we got stormed out the front half of the day i caught my biggest permit i've ever caught and we were covered up in permits so i don't know if that rain or the the dark weather brings this permit into more accessible water like it does trout or not but that's interesting yeah i like i said we caught fish everybody caught fish every day um and and in the in the rain and the the extreme wind and the water that got kicked up from the extreme wind at night and so the visibility instead of this beautiful blue green water it was like tea at best or like dirty tea at worst everywhere you went um we still caught fish man that's awesome so uh what were your highlights for the week did you uh did you just you know put, punch out a bunch of bonefish did you catch anything any permit or barracuda or anything like that you know what i hesitate to even tell people the the tarpon lagoons sometimes you can't talk people into going in there you are burning a good portion of your day going through these mangrove mazes where you swear if the uh, mexican guys you were with if they passed away in there you would die because you can't find your way out you would die you would die. Yes, you would die. You come to lagoons that have a ton of tarpon, or at least the day I was there, they had a ton of tarpon. You eat lunch on a Mayan ruin that maybe only 10 people a year see this hidden Mayan ruin in the back, and there's tons of iguanas eating on that Mayan ruin. That in and of itself is unbelievable. I saw where alligators crawl on and off the uh, um, land where their bellies stretch on the thing. I've only seen that in, in television shows. I saw huge crocodiles or alligators. I'm not sure which they were. They could have been caiman. We saw probably a dozen that were over six feet. I mean, it was an amazing eco tour. And on top of that, I caught some tarpon. So it, it was an unbelievable day. I'll never forget that day. Nice. You punched out a couple of tarpon, huh? Yep. Got, I got landed two and the other guy uh, hooked a couple. Uh, the one thing I will tell you on tarpon, no matter what they say, set on the fish and then set on the fish and then set on the fish that's three sets before they can even tell you to set that second time you're going to set it set it and set it yeah so you know craggers here so what let's what, let's introduce craggers the show he's one of our full-time guys he's guiding uh uh for us at reds all the time in fish Ascension bay you know a handful of times and, and is a group leader for us down there why don't you tell us about posture and hand position on setting the hook for tarpon all right. Hey, guys. Uh, so first of all, I'm Craig. Um, I want to thank Joe and Shan and uh, James for having me in. Um, and I want to thank my, my group for coming down to Ascension Bay, if any of you guys are listening. Um, awesome trip this year for us. But, um, yeah, as far as as far as far tarpon fishing, I got a really good day in this year, which we'll, uh, we'll get to here in a little bit. Um, but they're saying the set. It is set hard, hard, hard. Um, and it, um, you know, you, you throw them out there, and it is generally a pretty fast retrieve. It's it's strip, 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 strip. When that fish eats, and, and oftentimes you're going to see it before you even feel it um, on that on that set. And when those guides are yelling set, it it's really set. Um, it, it can be hard to, to trust them sometimes, but they're they're watching that fish, not necessarily um, just waiting for you to feel it. 
but when you when you said it's it's two or three really hard sets that hand hands have got to be down low and, and close to your body where you where you can get a good hook set and um and get a long strip um oftentimes you're, you're setting with with uh you know it's a strip set but that can be a two-handed set by pulling your rod towards you as well um but I like to keep setting until those until the fish is running. Really, I, I like to just keep hook setting. Um, you're on 60 or 80 pound test. You don't have to worry about breaking them off on a hook set. You just keep setting until that fish decides to run or jump, and then it's and then it's into the fight. But um, I mean, do you have a different different hook set than that? Yeah, I just say you know no, that's great information. I mean, that's kind of the kind of stuff you know we come from a you know trout steelhead salmon background and the thing about tarpon is you know you, you think you set hard and then you realize you know the guides you know they want it that much harder and for me the only way i can really generate that much energy into the hook set is i've got to get my hands forward you know both hands i've got to make sure that i'm all the way forward on the casting deck towards the fish if i'm at the back of the casting deck then i don't i don't feel comfortable like leaning back into the set so i've got to get my my position set up on the fish side of the casting deck so that i can step back stand up lean back and yeah you're right about the two-handed set you know you you're going to set with your stripping hand but you're also going to end up just to give your whole body because the fish will pull your body forward you ha- to give your body support, you need to be pulling back with your rod hand and your line hand as well. And that set for me, you know, I jumped, you know, a bunch of tarpon before I was able to land one of them. And we're not talking about super big tarpon. I mean, a big one down there for us is 50 pounds. You know, they average 15, but they have really hard mouths. And that hook set has to come with a little bit of uh, velocity. You know, it just can't be a slow, dead pull. But in order to drive that hook home and and increase your hook set to landing ratio, you really have to have a little bit of velocity or speed along that hook set. Yeah, exactly. And and I got to uh, to talking with the uh, the guides we were with this year, and um, you know we, I was talking because we were having a hard time keeping them hooked, and and I asked you know what what is an average landing rate, and and the guide said honestly you know about ten hook hookups per landed fish. Um, those tarpon are just—they're really hard to keep hooked. And and again, most of the most of the fish we're we're hooking are 10 to 20 pounds, um, with the occasional 30, 40, you know, maybe 50 pounder. Um, but man, they just go so crazy. Their their mouths are so much harder than anything we're used to to fighting out out here, trout, salmon, steelhead wise. Um, you know, even I guess the closest thing we have would be a bass. Um, you know they've got a pretty hard mouth and it's pretty pretty aggressive hook set uh, but those tarpon man it is just pull 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 until they go uh, and then you got to be on your toes because when they go they they uh they really go and it can be it can be hard to to keep them pinned but um no i was fortunate enough this year to have uh one really good tarpon day uh back in the lagoons these guys were talking about um and uh, I was fishing with a guy named Tony out of my group this year who uh, he happened to have had the, the hot rod that day. Uh, he must have hooked seven or eight, uh, jump, jump seven or eight tarpon that day. I jumped a couple myself. Um, we were fortunate enough to get into some, some big fish. I mean, he, we, we both jumped fish over 50 pounds, um, but uh, we weren't able to, to keep one of those, either of those guys uh, hooked up and get them in. But um, 
man, we, we, we got into some really good tarpon fish. We were actually fishing that uh, suspended shrimp that Joe was talking about earlier, um, which is a, a fly those guys love, by the way. If, if anybody's doing a tarpon trip, especially for uh, the, the baby tarpon or what we call them, um, the, the, that shrimp is, is a guide favorite, I would say, every year we're down there. So uh, make sure you have a couple of those. But, uh, but yeah, that, it, it's a, that, that tarpon thing is totally different than anything, anything we do around here. Um, it, it's hard to hard to describe it, I guess. And you just it's something you gotta just if you go down and do that trip, one of your days, at least one of your days, go go tarpon fish. Um, you know, I think there was only a couple guys in our group this year that went tarpon fishing, and and uh, it was it was a good experience this year. So, yeah, tarpon are really exciting. Uh, in fact, one of our guides, Brian Williams, right now he's down fishing and. Uh, at Tarponville in Costa Rica competing in the Jungle's Edge Tarpon Fishing Tournament, which that's big boy fishing. I, I did that Costa Rica trip this last year. We got hit pretty hard with weather uh, and had tough fishing, but uh, Brooke, uh, Brian's girlfriend, jumped a 100-pounder uh, this morning, actually. So she, uh, I guess it, I guess it ate. It, it took the fly about eight feet from the boat. I guess it followed it all the way in, took it eight feet from the boat, went aerial on her, and it was just, just went bananas. But, you know, that's what's amazing, you know, one thing about Ascension Bay is, you know, you're, we're taught, you guys are jumping 50-pound tarpon, and then, uh, you know, on that same day, did you and Tony pretty much engage just in tarpon fishing that day, or did you guys try for, you know, other species? You know, that, that was about it. Um you know the the tarpon lagoons that that we've been talking about are, are so deep back into these mangroves it's almost a it's almost a two-hour boat ride just to get to where you start fishing um you know which you figure it's a two-hour way in um as you work through the lagoons you may have a two and a half or a three-hour ride home which you know on a nine-hour fishing day only leaves you a number of hours to fish um so once you get back there and you decide you're going to go tarpon fishing, it, that's pretty much what you do on the day. You might run into some snook. Uh, you know, I've had one experience where we went back there into the lagoons, and, and for whatever reason, there, there just weren't, weren't tarpon back there, and we were able to salvage some, some good bone fishing. There's some good bone fishing nearby. Um, but when you go tarpon fishing, you've got to pretty much dedicate the day to to that tarpon fishing to really get back into the low, those deep lagoons where we were at. So. Well, that's why we fish six and a half days, and you dedicate day to tarpon fishing, and it's it's like varsity level fishing. You know, I mean, you go in, and you know what's the worst case scenario? You don't catch tarpon, big deal. I mean, you're you're out there, it's 85 degrees, you're getting a little suntan, and uh, and and having a surveys or two, so. Oh, that's great, man! You guys jumped some good ones. Um, what? What? A, so that was a highlight. Obviously, being able to jump fish like that in in that structured environment. We're not talking about big open water. We're talking a very small, intimate fishery of fishing those lagoons there. Uh, what were some of your other highlights from the week? You know, um, this week we we were fortunate. We had we had really good really good weather this week, which was nice because. Uh, we had had about two years in a row where, where my group had had some pretty uh, some pretty tough weather, so it was nice for us to get a little break this year. We had four or five really really nice weather days. Um, you know, uh, one now, of the, now yes. by by tough weather, you're talking about eighty degrees and a little cloud cover. Yeah, yeah, it, the tough weather is relative. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the the toughest thing for us down there is cloud cover. 
you get cloud cover, you can't see the fish, it, it, it's hard. Then you got to resort to maybe uh, blind casting for tarpon or snook or uh, looking for uh, some muds like uh, the guys were talking about earlier, uh, maybe fishing some blue holes, um, stuff like that. But as far as, you know, finding those fish out in the flats, um, you know, it gets to be real tough with, with the cloud cover more than anything. The wind... Um, you know, the wind's going to affect you more or less depending on how good of a caster you are. Um, you know, if, if you're still relatively new to the saltwater thing, the wind's going to be a little tougher for you than maybe somebody who's uh, more experienced on, on casting in those conditions. But, you know, we had had, yeah, I guess it wasn't the worst weather. Some of our guys have had some, some real tough weeks. But, you know, we had a couple, couple years in a row with, with a lot of clouds, which, which just makes it tough to sight fish, uh, especially for the permit um but um no this week we had four or five you know really perfect days uh, fishing a little bit of wind but nothing unmanageable um you know and and uh, i would say for the most part all of our guys um you know had had really good good fishing on bonefish and and some some good uh, some good size bonefish this year which um you know oftentimes um you know the bonefish in in ascension bay are there there's tons of them there's tons of bonefish you could you know if it's something you haven't done there are lots of of smaller bonefish to be had Uh, but when you when you decide to go target you know those larger bonefish uh, and for ascension bay those larger bonefish are going to be you know five to seven pounders for the most part um you know which which for down there are, are, are a good challenge and um you know we had some we had some good fishing down there uh, on those this week De- describe what it's like so you know somebody who's an avid trout fisherman okay they're gonna go and you know i it sounds good but you know what i don't know that's you know big trip i don't know if i can catch these bone fish i've heard about them i've heard it's hard um, personally, I think most people's stories are embellished about the, the heroic cast that they make and all the amazing things that they do. Tell a first-timer what it's like throwing at, you know, and, and just describe to us throwing at a big single in the shallows. Uh, so a, Paint the picture here, Craig. Yeah, so again, you, if you're first time down there, your first day or two, you're probably going to go target bonefish. Um, most of the guys do that. Alright, so you, you show up and, and you meet your guy in the morning. You say, okay, we're going to go. We want to go target big single bonefish today. Um, you get down there. They take you out. You're out there. Um, you may you may be in the boat um, pulling for fish. You may be out walking, you know, in ankle to knee deep water looking for those big singles. Uh, maybe a mix of the two on the day. But uh, yeah, you, you get up there and all of a sudden you see that you, you see your first big bonefish, um, you know, five, six, seven pounder out there in the flats, and you're gonna get adrenaline. I don't care who who you are. If you haven't done it before, you're you're gonna you're gonna get rushed you're gonna the guide is gonna start getting excited he's gonna start talking a little bit faster a little bit higher pitch um you know all of a sudden that that 50 60 foot cast turns into a feels like a 90 100 foot cast um you know the the nice the nice part about bonefish are is generally that they're pretty willing to eat if you can make that cast um you got them but but that cast can be so hard under those circumstances. Um, 
you know, most of our guys that do practice, they go out and they practice on the nice calm days. They go out in your yard and you, you cast over the winter and, and you pick a nice, nice sunny, you know, non-winded day to cast. And, and even a little five or 10 mile an hour wind with, with that fish out there. And the, the guide's going, you know, cast now, cast now. It's got to go, go, go. Um, you know, it can be, it can be pretty challenging, uh, you know, to make that, that 50 or 60 foot cast and put it into a hula hoop. Yeah, so that sounds really exciting. So you you walk into the flat and you're in shin deep water and you're you're you trying to walk quiet, Craig? Yeah, yeah. So that that's one of those things that um, you know, the more experience you get in it, you have down there, the more you're going to realize that how being quiet is so important. It's not something that we're used to up here, you know. We we're we drop stuff in the boat we clang around we're not quiet with our feet you know when we're wearing waders and whatnot we're making a lot of noise in our boat um down there noise is big those those fish will hear you way before they ever see you or see your line or you know anything you do uh as far as fishing is not going to spook them as much as just noise will um, it is really important to be quiet and, and pick the pick your feet up and up out of the water with making as little splash as possible. Yeah, I've just I I get so much excitement out of bonefish. I you know with all the fish you know, and, and I guess I'll summarize my good catches for the week. But I this last trip I caught a spectacular permit, um, you know, which had been a while. Um, permitters the most unfair species. Uh, that you can imagine. Um, you lay in, I was close to, and you've heard me rant, you know, and, and moan about this, but I was close to a hundred, what I would say, acceptable presentations on permit. You know, I mean, I had counted, I counted to 66 and no hookups. And I'd made 66 acceptable presentations to permit and not gotten a decent, you know, or any permit, actually. Zero, I would have counted even a I would have counted a four-inch permit had I caught one, but permit can be very unfair. And I've seen fishermen go down in their first day ever saltwater fishing and catch permit. So permit can be very unfair. On the other hand, bonefish can be very fair. When you make an adequate presentation to a bonefish, they're a pretty aggressive fish, and they're going to eat as long as you don't spook them and you present right fly selection can have a small part of it but it's 90 percent presentation with bonefish you play you play you play by the rules you make your presentation you do it right bonefish eat so bonefish are great but i did finally after a long dry spell catch my big permit got one of those well i got two of those one little guy one big guy uh i caught a great snook probably close to my best snook ever i caught that on day six and that was about a 36-inch snook, which was absolutely spectacular. Uh, snooker, awesome. And then after that, I ended up hooking a bigger snook. There was a north wind, and the winds, you know, just to share, I just, I really admire guiding. You know, like I manage the guides here at Reds to the best of my ability, and, and we're knowledgeable about river conditions and weather and stuff like that. But the guides there, you know, in watching that weather and those weather patterns and the wind shifts and the tides and their gut instinct on where to go. I was just so impressed on day six by my guide. And it wasn't a guide I'd ever fished with before. And he said, well, it's a north wind today. We haven't had a north wind in like five days. Because of the north wind, these bigger snook are gonna migrate from mangrove to mangrove. And they're protected while they're in those larger, deeper mangroves. 
But in transit, when they're over the sand, they become very vulnerable. Those large snook may not have had a fly presented to them at all because they've been so deep in the mangroves. Well, this wind shift had forced these snook to migrate. And immediately on day six, I presented it about a 10 pound snook. It would not eat my Enrico Puglisi suspended shrimp, tan, one aught size, which I catch everything on. And it just, oh, I was just, oh, I was just mad that that thing didn't eat because I'm so confident that fly. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Every fish eats that fly. What's wrong with you? Must be, must be blind. That's the only thing I can think of. So immediately, you know, regarding fly selection, I'll tell you, I cut that fly off and I tied on Enrico Puglisi 2 watt red and white finger mullet, uh, which I love. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. You know it is. So finger mullet, I tied on that red and white finger mullet. And the very next cast, boom, I knock out that 36-inch snook. Awesome eat, big take, great jump. Knock that thing out, get some good photos with the guide. The guide keeps pulling down the flat. And we had dropped Kurt off, one of the other guy or one of the other anglers, on a similar flat, and he was walking that on foot for snook and bones. Snooks, snooks and bone fishes. Uh, and <laughs> it's my Spanish coming out. It's about as close as I get to Spanish, <laughs> Gregors. Uh, so we we get up and I hook this next snook, and man, I have caught a lot of nice snook and even those those baby tarpon. On, on that Rio 40 pound fluorocarbon. I think that's awesome leader. It's super abrasion resistant, super tough. And this snook was about a 20 pounder. It was the biggest snook I'd ever hooked. And that thing tore through that 20, that or that 40 pound, like nothing, dude. Like I was using 6X. I mean, it just ate and turned and poof. And the line actually shot back like a big rubber band. It's like hit me in the chest. I'm like, damn, I'm like, it's like, I just was shocked. I was like, it happened so fast. I was on top of the world, thought it was the God's <laughs> gift to angling, and then I was like, down to chump status, all in like five minutes. So I break off the giant snook. We move on. We keep trying to fish. I up it to 60 pound, and uh, because I'm like, I'm not going to have that happen again. I keep fishing the red and white finger mullet. I don't get any more shots. Uh, day six, actually, we, we hit that. The guide was really great, and he, he strategically put us on that flat in the morning. Day six was a complete dud the rest of the day. I mean, I went like six hours with almost no shots, you know, for the remainder of day six. And then uh, for me, departure day was uh, I did not land a fish on departure day, but I did pull the boat uh, for about an hour and a half, and I only spun us in circles like one time. So I actually uh, controlled the boat, which that pulling the boat is quite a skill. Uh, for anybody who's pulled the boat successfully out there, good for you. I have done it. Uh, I pulled, well, like I said, I pulled for an hour and a half. I think I pulled the boat successfully for about 40 minutes of that hour and a half. But I'm getting better. And I, like I said, I only spun a in circle once. And I got my client uh, into fish. Uh well, a couple of shots. He didn't catch anything, probably because the boat was blowing by him too fast. But um, actually, our friend, good friend Troy Lichtenegger, uh, who's he's a sales rep in the industry, uh, he sells like Sims and you know some other stuff. But Troy told me one time we were fishing together, Craig, and you'll love this. I was pulling the boat, and it was a beautiful bluebird day, and I've I was. Heard, I've heard all about this story. And, and Troy go, says go. to me, he he turns and he says to me. Do you, it was a beautiful, great conditions. He says, do you think we could 
choose a better day for you to learn how to pull the boat. <laughs> like maybe a cloudy day when it's crappy out. And yeah. Anyway, I learned how to pull the boat a little bit, but my highlight for the week, I got a great permit, great snook. I uh, didn't get any big tarp, but I knocked out a couple, you know, I knocked in numerous good-sized bonefish, but it's just a great week. It's super rewarding. Uh, what, what about you? You got a couple of permit or at least a permit, right? Um, yeah, I got, I got one permit uh, on this trip. Um, you know, I, we actually had really good snook fishing as well this this uh, trip. Uh, I'd say for most of our group, I think a lot of our guys, the majority of our guys, um, you know, were able to land some snook, which was which was pretty fun this year too. Um, but yeah, I got I got into uh, I got one permit this year. wasn't wasn't a monster. It was about seven or eight pounder, or, you know, a respectable permit, anyways. Um, but uh, it actually came on uh, the back cast that that these guys were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, you know, on one of those quick reaction, you know, 35, 40 foot cast, you know, straight to the side of the boat on a, on a backhand, um, you know, with a, with a little bit of side wind and whatnot. And, and I'd always kind of just, you know, put off those casts. I, I'd thrown them out there. I'd never seen a fish, um, you know, that close to us and on a short notice like that actually react to a fly. I've always just kind of assumed those fish were already spooked. We saw them too late. Um, you kind of throw at them half-hearted. Um, but, uh, you know, on, on this one, for, for whatever reason, I was able to get that cast out there and uh, was instantly surprised when I saw the fish turn and follow the fly. Um, ended up being the, the only permit of the week that I, that I hooked up into. Um, and, and it made me kind of think about those, those casts a little bit more, um, which were ones that I just, in the past, had, had never really put much thought into. So... Um, you know, just because a fish is close to you and you think he may be spooked doesn't doesn't mean he's actually spooked. So um, that w- that was kind of an interesting interesting one for me. But but yeah, um, you know, we had a couple couple permit in the group. Uh, my dad actually got a couple permit on on the trip. He goes down with me, and um, and a couple uh, other guys ran into some permit too. I so. got to interject here, yeah. but your dad showing up and catching two permit, and you only catching one permit. That a little bit reminds me of the A River Runs Through It movie scene where uh, old man McLean shows up with his creel. You know, the Lord has blessed all of us today, son, just some more than others. A, a, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, granted, this okay, I got to have a little respect for, my, for myself here, defend myself <laughs> a little bit. My dad has been on a couple of those. I think that was his third trip now, and he hadn't got one up until that point. And uh, my dad is, has also logged more hours of fishing than, than probably me or Joe combined, us, maybe combined yeah. even. So, so he, he, we we got to defend. I got to defend myself a little bit on that one. But yeah, it was uh, you know it was a good trip. I, I think we had uh, about half of the group you know got into permit this year, which was which was pretty nice. And I think most of those guys ended up with uh, you know decent size permit too, rather than you know not to say that the little ones don't count but it's always nice to get a little bit bigger ones too so yeah i uh yeah i think you know we had good groups shan shan's group had the worst weather um based on what what steve's group steve went back in january and then you followed steve in early february and then i followed you later in february with james and then Shan followed me, and then we still got a group down there right now, actually. Now that I think about it, we got Mike, who's hosting a group, uh, one of our, our head fly fishing instructors down there with a group right now. 
and so we've had all these groups, but Steve's group historically seems to catch the most permit. Yeah. Is that, that's uh, we gonna attribute that to fishing skill? I, you know, I don't know what it is. That that group, it, it's uh, it's funny. They're the they're the first group to go, you know, which supposedly should be some of the the iffiest weather. It's the kind of the most gamble. You're early in the year. You're kind of gambling with the weather. Those guys have had what four or five like perfect weather weeks in a, in a row fishing yeah they got a little bit of rain but they've had not not what shan dealt with no. you know shan dealt with a with several days of stormy weather and and you know stormy weather like again it's 80 degrees nobody's complaining yeah. we're just saying it limits your visibility is is the when we talk about weather on a trip like this we're not talking about shivering we're talking about it limits visibility but Steve's week knocked out some good permit. Tony Robbins, you know, it's one of our one of our owners and founders here at Reds. He knocked out a huge permit on that week in January. Did you see pictures of that fish? Yeah, yeah, he he got a big one. Tony Tony's a great fisherman. He seems like he wins big fish no matter what the trip is. Pretty much, yeah. He has the he has caught the biggest permit in our company. I mean, probably the top two that I can think of. Anyway, but the January group did great on permit. They caught. They actually had good snook conditions too, from what from what Steve said. The number the 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 sheer number of snook those guys caught was great. So I think they they had a really solid week in that regard. And then you guys were really well rounded. It sounds like you got half the group caught permit. You guys caught numerous snook. You had some great tarpon fishing. So you had like probably the most well. You had the Super Grand Slam week, you know, where it was probably the most well-rounded because our week had terrible tarpon fishing. I mean, our the, the tides or whatever it was, the tarpon fishing for our group was not good. We had some shots at, at decent tarpon, but, you know, they weren't eaters. They weren't aggressive. You know, I don't know if it was the moon cycle or what, but our permit fishing was okay. We landed about five permit out of, out of 12 of us, I think. No, we landed more than that. We landed about... No, I don't know. I never counted, which is weird for me. You know, when we only catch one or two, I always count. <laughs> but we we had pretty well rounded fishing, but our tarpon fishing was down. And uh, I haven't got Mike's report yet, but I'm sure he's probably got a well rounded week. But historically, like you know, you know, later in the year is generally better weather, and historically more book. But we've never seen. I don't think have we ever seen really a drop off in fishing from the late January trip through the the late March trip? No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, you know, I've always personally been down there on that earlier one. Um, you know, it seems like some years the again the, the weather is kind of a big one on that on kind of how how the ult, you know ultimately the fishing goes. But you know, it's just kind of a you know it can be that early week, it can be those later weeks. Um, it seems like that first group has had a lot of good snook fishing, and there might be some, something to that that little bit earlier, um, you know, in that in that booking where, where those guys have had a couple really good years in a row on that on that snook game. Where I think uh, I think if anything, that probably drops off a little bit as the as the you know weeks go on. Um, but but no, I, it just kind of it's just kind of random. Some years it's it's better later. Some years it's better earlier. Um, but I would say, you know, more than anything, it's pretty, it's pretty even all the way through as far as the, you know, the weeks that we go down. Yeah. Well, Ascension Bay, man, it's a wonderful trip. I am actually not going to go next year. I don't know if you know this, 
but I'm going to do some different stuff. I'm going to go to Cuba and I'm going to go to Kamchatka and I'm definitely going back to Ascension Bay. But the first time I ever went to Ascension Bay, you know what my first thought was? I was like, how do I get down here? Like with my family for like four months out of the year. Like I could just be a permanent host there. That was literally my first thought. Actually, I still like entertain the idea of that, but it's a wonderful destination. I'm going to miss it, but I'm, I'm kind of, I'm interested in, in checking out a few other spots. And, you know, I, I like a lot of people. I'm, I, I'd like to pretend I do nothing but travel the world and fly fish, but I've got, I've got a regular life and family and kids and all that. So I'm limiting my trips, but I'm doing Cuba and Russia next year, uh, which is going to be great. I'm sure. And then I'll be back on Ascension Bay uh, the year prior. But, man, there's not very many fisheries that offer that much variety and consistency. It's just out of all the trips we've done, we've had just such a great experience down there. So we'll wrap up with that. It's, uh, it's a great destination. I hope you enjoyed listening and learning a little bit more about, you know, tropical fishing and especially Ascension Bay in general. So uh, until next time, we thank you guys for having uh, or being on our podcast here today. Thanks, Greg. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, Shan. Thank you, James. That was a ton of fun chatting and recollecting about all the great experiences that we all had fishing in Ascension Bay. We sincerely hope that you learned something from today's podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure to follow it on Podbean and stay in touch with Reds. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and of course, visit us online at redsflyshop.com or redsflyfishing.com if you need some gear and you'd like to shop online. Tight lines.